Well, good morning. Happy almost New Year and happy seventh day of Christmas. If you're not familiar with the church calendar, Christmas is more than just one day. It is a 12-day season because we can't fit all the goodness of celebrating Jesus' birth into just one day, especially when we've waited four weeks during Advent to do so. Um, So this morning, as the celebration continues of Christ's birth, even as we turn the calendar on a new year, Um, into 2024. Um, We are celebrating. We'll sing some great Christmas carols together, and we'll explore the practice Pastor Ross will guide us through this morning of prayerfully choosing a word for the upcoming year that will anchor and guide us. He'll explain more about that later, but in this moment, I invite you to receive our call to worship from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Consider these truths in light of Jesus's birth and a new year. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. Friends, the birth of Jesus was the beginning of all new beginnings, the fulfillment of promises made long ago and the beginning of a universe-altering rescue, God in flesh come to live with us and to save us. So as we celebrate Christmas and welcome in a new year, we have a video um, of our administrative staff at Fellowship as they share a little bit about this life-giving practice that they've experienced of selecting a guiding word for the year. So we invite you to watch this video. I'm Steve Bronius, the Minister of Operations and Ministry Implementation here at Fellowship. Hi, I'm Ginger, and I'm on staff here at Fellowship. I handle the financials. I'm Janice, and I am part of the staff here at Fellowship Church. Hi, my name is Diana, and I am part of the admin team here at Fellowship Church. And every year, we do a Word of the Year. Uh, We've been doing the Word of the Year for quite a few years now. I can't even remember when we started. But it's been something that's had a meaning to me um, as a way of just having a a context for what the year might be. Um, And I think it's been also a good thing to do in community where we can periodically reflect with one another about how we're doing with those words and whether they're still meaningful and uh, be supportive to one another as we think through the impact on our lives. My word for the year was love well. And I chose that because at the beginning of the year, I was dealing with a difficult relationship with someone who was close to me. There was um, not a lot of good communication there. And so I was really struggling to love her well, even in the midst of the broken relationship. In any place that I am, just loving people well is important, even if you don't agree or if there's something that is standing between you. So my word of the year is actually not one word, it is two words, and it is build and find. And when I told the team build and find afterwards, I thought those words are backwards. I should probably have put find and build. I wasn't sure what I was building, but I figured I'd need to find it before I build it. And as it turns out, after the year has gone by, I realized that I wasn't building anything physically, I was building relationships because as many of you know, I have taken on the new role as a Kids Hope Director. And in the process of building these relationships, I think he was reminding me, the Holy Spirit was telling me that I would find him. My word this year was contentment. And I think about being content, not only at home with material uh, matters, but also with uh, my spiritual life. And how does that look? And as I look at this word, I think about being content um, with where God has me in life right now. I think about where God has brought me in the past and where he's going to take me in the future. One of my reminders with doing these words or themes that I tell our team is that this is not a should. It's not something to cause guilt. Rather, it's something to be a framework or a lens of how you look at the year. explore more of that later. I hope that's piqued your interest. May God speak to us this morning. Would you stand and let's sing with joy, joy to the world.
Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this Christmas we celebrate the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we get to behold His glory as the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Like shepherds <laughs> and wise men, we bow in adoration before the Christ child in our midst, and we confess that we've grown dull sometimes to the wonder of the incarnation and the promises therein. Forgive us for the times we've chosen war with you and others and even ourselves. And in Christ, grant us renewed peace for our weary, chaotic souls. Forgive us for the times we've chosen despair. And in Christ, grant us renewed hope for the blessing of eternity with you and your people in a renewed creation. Forgive us for the times we chose apathy and indifference. And in Christ, grant us renewed love for you and others. Forgive us for the times we chose our idols and our possessions and our distractions. And in Christ, grant us renewed joy in communion with the God who doesn't abhor us, but loves us so much that he would dwell with us. Renew us in peace, hope, love, and joy and salvation this Christmas season, that we might be lights in the dark places of our world, pointing the way back to a Father who loves, a Savior who redeems, and a Spirit who restores. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Friends, I invite you to stand once more and let's sing together. God rest ye merry people, all that's nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power. Born the Son of God by name, oh, time. 
good joy, tidings of comfort and joy because of Jesus's life, his death and resurrection, but he had to be born first. So we celebrate the peace of Christ be with you. I invite you to, as the song said, in true love, embrace one another as you are comfortable and share a sign of that peace. as we already mentioned, today is the seventh day of Christmas, and Christmas is a 12-day season. Um, how many of you are familiar with the song, The 12 Days of Christmas? Yeah, okay, good. We're going we're gonna to crush this. Um, but how many of you are familiar uh, with the fact that this song was written coded language to teach children about the faith? Yeah, so it's, it's false. Um, <laughs> so if you've heard of that, yeah, just get that out of your mind. Uh, but anyway, so somewhere along the way, it was suggested, oh, this song was written when people were being persecuted for their faith and they wanted to teach their children during the Christmas season about the catechism. And, and so all of these things have symbols and the numbers mean something and even the, the images themselves mean something. So really the facts in Snopes.com, just check it out. Uh, they, they, they give the final word where they're like, you know, it, it's, a, it's a cool idea, but meaning has been ascribed later. So we'll just go with that. But even still, the meaning that's been ascribed later is really fun. And it is a fun way to learn about the faith. There are coloring books out there. I mean, just check. I've, I've done way too much research into this. Uh, but what I want to do, our pastors uh, have actual jobs to do. So they did not research this. Um, and so I'm going to, <laughs> just kidding. That was, that was self-deprecating, right? I can do that. I, mean, I didn't insult anybody else. Okay. Um, but I'm going to invite the pastors to come up and we're going to play a little game of kind of stump the pastors on what the meanings are. Now, I gave them each a little bit of a heads up of what numbers I might ask them, but they were given strict instructions to not research it. Yes? I didn't research. <laughs> Neither Should did I. I. <laughs> okay, awesome. Well, so Nate, we're going to start with you because you're kind of bold. Um, Me? <laughs> Old or bold? <laughs> Good clarification. Actually, Nate is the oldest. Right, right. <laughs> Sorry, I said that. By um, several okay. years. By several years. Several years? Several Come years. on. Yeah. So many years. So many years. <laughs> okay, so Nate, we're going to ask you, eight maids a milking. What do you think it means symbolically, biblically? Yeah. Eight maids a milking. I'm wondering if it has something. Is my mic on? Yeah. I think it is. I'm trying. I can talk really loud. There, it is. there, there we go. go. Yeah. Uh, eight maids milk. I'm wondering if it has something to do <laughs> with the fact that Moses was thrown in the river and taken into Pharaoh's court who had lots of ladies in there and there might have been eight people that helped her to raise Moses. Wow, this is a real stretch. <laughs> wow. <laughs> 
I'm just proving I had no research, you know? Okay. So what I didn't tell you is that we're playing charades. You get to do eight maids of milking. Uh, <laughs> hard pass. <laughs> okay, so facts. Does anybody else out there know what the eight are? Just shout it out if you know. The Beatitudes. There's eight Beatitudes. Now, the reason it's the maids of milking, they're like the lowest class in society. And so it is this like, Christ has come for all, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, okay? Eight maids of milking. So you catching how this goes? There's yeah. a number yeah. and sometimes the symbol means something and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> but that one did. Okay, all right, Ross, you're brave. Okay. <laughs> Nine ladies dancing. Nine ladies dancing, oh boy. Uh, I'm thinking uh, there was a little dance contest going on for King Xerxes with <laughs> Esther, and Esther won, so these other ones are the ones who didn't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you guys just going that to some exactly obscure well Old done. Testament no, stories? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Quick learner, though. It's the numbers, right? So yes. nine, yeah. through the Spirit. You are correct. Yes, Come so on. the fruit of, great, and he didn't, I didn't tell him that, so he came up with that on his own. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is laid out in nine qualities, <laughs> and here we go, the Spirit in the Greek language, which the New Testament was written in, is a feminine noun, so nine ladies dancing, fruit of the Spirit. It's not fruits of the Spirit, guys, fruit of the Spirit, right, Tira? Singular. Singular. Thank you, Singular. Tira taught me that. <laughs> fruit of the Spirit, nine qualities. <laughs> All right, Tira. Are you ready? Oh, wait, hang on. Charades. Nine ladies. Nine. <laughs> yes. Yes. You're welcome. You're welcome. Shoot. <laughs> okay. No more charades. Uh, five golden rings, Tiara. What are five golden rings? All right. I'm going to go New Testament, Revelation. It is a, like, centuries-old prediction of the number of rings Kobe Bryant would win. Oh, wow. Oh. Wow. Wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> hey, it's Revelation. Anything we just put Kobe right? Bryant in Revelation. I don't, I don't know where we're going. We are going downhill. <laughs> okay, it is actually, does anyone know? Five? Pentateuch. Pentateuch, or the Torah. Torah. Same yeah. thing. First five books of the Old Testament. Yeah. It's God's covenant with God's people, rings, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, oh, all right, yeah, it's a little stretch. Yeah. All right, well, I'm gonna give one to the congregation. Two turtle doves. Old yes! and New Testament. You guys do yeah. know this. It's the old yes. and the cool part about the doves is like they're like one and there's this harmony. There's not a comp competition. There's not a disparity. What's the word I'm looking for? You know what I'm talking yeah. about between the old and New Testament. Same God. Yep. They reject go. Marcy and heresy. One so the two turtle doves, they're, they're not in competition. They are one, there's harmony, Old and New Testament. The whole thing with the, my true love gave to me is God giving us these gifts for life and faith. So I'm gonna uh, ask you all one more and then we'll come back to these guys. Partridge in a pear tree. Yes, Jesus on the cross. Jesus now, you might need to fact check me on this one. I tried multiple websites to see if this was legit, but, and, and maybe our bird lovers would be able to correct me on this, but a partridge is particularly brave in defense of her young and will even die to protect them. So a partridge in a pear tree, Jesus on the cross. Yeah, okay. Nice. All right, we'll give these guys one more chance. Oh. <laughs> Don't turn your mic off okay. yet. <laughs> Are you sure? Then we're going to sing it together. <laughs> I thought you were going to answer in the form of a question, Tira, Jeopardy style. <laughs> Okay, um, Nate, six geese a laying. Six geese a laying. Something to do with the working days and the geese are laying and working? You are so close. Ah. It's the six days of creation. Think new life, eggs being laid. God hatched and formed a world. Beautiful. Too far, just too far. <laughs> Okay, Ross, 11 pipers piping. 11 pipers piping, okay? <laughs> uh, 11, it's got to be about the numbers, right? So there's 11 disciples minus Judas who dropped his pipe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that last part, you were so close. <laughs> You're so close. 12 minus 1, 11. Yeah, and you, yeah. Are, you are correct, actually. Yes. It is. It is the 11 faithful disciples. That was a trick question because most people are like, well, 11, no, there's 12. Nope, minus <laughs> Judas. Um, and they're the ones who carried out the gospel message, so that's why they're piping, right? Yeah, yeah. okay. 
All right, um, last one for Tiara. Hmm. Ten Lords of Leaping. Ten Lords of Leaping. Uh, hmm. We're going to go with uh, St. Paul's number of letters. I don't know. Oh, does he have... Te- Wait a second. I don't know. I just had a... <laughs> we, just, we just did this in the summer. We should know how many were written by Paul. I don't remember. Um, nope. <laughs> ten Lords Leaping are the Ten Commandments. And oh, Lords, Judges, yeah. Rulers, Law. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. All right. We there could go. go on all day. Uh, we're going <laughs> to sing the song. <laughs> I'm seeing heads shake. Please do not go on all day. <laughs> But we're going to give you an opportunity to sing it. And if you ever have done this at like a Christmas party or family gathering, you know how you break it up and like, you're going to sing the two turtle doves. Okay. So our pastors, let's give them a round of applause for putting themselves on the spot there. (laughs) So we're going to go through the song. The thing is, is because today is the seventh day of Christmas, the whole of us are going to sing seven swans of swimming when it comes to that. Okay. And we're all also going to sing partridge in a pear tree. So, you know, you're all singing on one and seven. The others, we're going to cue you. This section is going to be cued with pictures. You guys want to show them your pictures, what they're going to be doing? And then JB is going to hold up the one and the seven for everybody. This is you guys, two and six, five and ten. All right, are we ready to jump into this? Okay, let's do it. Ten Lords of Leaping. Seven Swans 
so much fun. <laughs> Good morning, fellowship. <laughs> Hardly needs to be said at this point. Uh, my name is Tiara. I'm one of the pastors here, if I've not yet met you. Um, and this, uh, and uh, gosh, it's, the, it's just, it's, it's the week between Christmas and New Year's. Everything's off. <laughs> Welcome to fellowship, where our mission is to <clears throat> Uh, love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. Uh, if you are new with us, if this is your first Sunday with us, or maybe you've been here <coughs> for a few Sundays and you are ready to take that step to get to know us a little bit better as a community, we would love to meet you. Um, there are some cards in the back that look like this. They're connection cards. You can fill one of those out. You can take it over to the Welcome Center, and there's some great folks there who would love to meet you and greet you by name and help you to um, connect with us as a community. Uh, just two, two announcements for us this morning. First, Community Nights are kicking off on Wednesday, January 17. You've got a couple weeks yet. Uh, there are a lot of options for you to choose from, uh, like one of several immersed Bible study groups meeting throughout the week, including on Wednesdays, um, like the Wednesday night fellowship group led by Bert and Marlene Veronius, uh, or Reverend Dr. Chris Corsi's class on navigating our emotions in Christ-like ways. Uh, or Reverend Dr. John Hubers, who's an RCA missionary, uh, his class on faithful witness in the Muslim world. Or you can join our friends from the Colossian Forum for a class on Christian conflict transformation. You can learn more about these classes and other things that are happening on Wednesday nights for um, not only adults, but also middle school students um, and the little tiny ones, uh, including start dates um, and how to sign up in the Church Center app under signups. Um, second thing. Next Sunday is our first Sunday, and we will celebrate at the communion table, uh, and then we will gather for fellowship right after. So join us for an extended coffee hour with coffee and, 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 guess what? Donuts. Yeah, donuts between and after both services. Uh, so... Last but not least, uh, here at Fellowship, we are, there's a lot of things that we can be grateful for, um, an amazing, um, fun um, culture here at Fellowship, but also the faithful generosity of this congregation. Um, your generosity supports not only ministries here at Fellowship, but also our local and global missions here and around the world. Uh, if you missed our Christmas Eve offering, there's still time to support um, our RCA mission partner in their work to uh, work with and support refugees in the Middle East this season, and also our local mission partner, uh, GVSU Campus Ministry, as they seek to um, meet the growing demands of campus ministry this season. Uh, so all offerings that are placed in red envelopes will go to support these mission partners, and you can pick up your red envelope at the Welcome Center um, on your way out today. Uh, and with that, we will continue in singing, I think. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yes, let's sing together in the bleak midwinter.
Friends, let's pray together. O Lord, my God, O Lord, our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's been another year, and we have only, we have only hours left in the year 2023. So we pause to notice that you have been with us always. We pause to give thanks for the grace and the hope that we have in Jesus' name, especially as we celebrate it at Christmas time. And now as we turn our thoughts to the year ahead, we pray with all of our hearts that your word, O oh Lord, would be our rule, your spirit, our teacher, and the glory of Jesus, our only concern. All God's people said, amen. Friends, I invite you to hear the word of the Lord from the book that we love. It comes to us from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, where it says this. My child, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and of people. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As you've already heard this morning, of course, it's New Year's Eve today, and we're inviting ourselves to consider selecting a word of the year for the coming year. In fact, in the text that we just read, you may have noticed that it does that just a little bit. It puts forth two words, love and faithfulness, saying to put those around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart so that they go forward and influence your everything. It would be out of time, of course, an anachronism, big fancy word. It'd be out of time to say that those words are a word of the year, of course. They're not. That idea did not exist yet in biblical times. And that's what an anachronism is. It is something that is out of time. It's anachronos, uh, against the clock or, or backwards time. But anachronisms make for some fun dad jokes and also some interesting cartoons. So before we get into our words of the year, I want to play a little bit with you with some anachronisms. Here's ones based on the story of Moses. So in the first cartoon you have up there, his mom is giving him instructions about how to cross the desert. She says, make sure you look both ways before you cross like you're crossing the street. In the middle one there, it's like Moses is leading a family vacation and the kids are in the back seat and they're complaining the whole way along. He says, I'll turn this exodus around if I have to, he says. And then in the third one, Moses is finally presenting the Ten Commandments to the people, but they're not paying attention because they're too busy popping the bubble wrap. These are anachronisms. They are out of time, right? Or here's another set, more fitting to today, Christmas time. So Joseph and Mary arrive at the inn where there is no room, and the first cartoon says that it's because uh, there's a convention in town and all the hotels are booked. The middle one is the instance where someone is already there on the very first Christmas selling hay, the commercialization of Christmas before people even really know what it is. 
And then the last one on the end is the gifts of the wise men, where they come bringing frankincense, gold, and myrrh, but this time it's Frankenstein, which is, again, an anachronism. It is out of time. You get the idea. And you could say that it is an anachronism. It is out of time to suggest that this idea of picking a word for the year is a biblical practice. It didn't exist yet at that time, so it's, it's an anachronism to say so. But at the same time, I think it's pretty clear if you look into the scriptures, you'll see time and again and again, there are instances where certain words dramatically shape the life of certain people. And the Bible in particular is the book that teaches us that words make worlds. Words make worlds. That's the title of today's sermon. And I want to invite you to consider that all the more today. Words make worlds. It's been that way from the very, very beginning when God spoke the world into being. Let there be, let there be, let there be. And there was, and there was, and there was. It was God's word that made the world. Similarly, at Christmas time, we celebrate the fact that it was the word made flesh for us and for our salvation. The word has again made our world, transformed our world. And in James chapter three, it even goes so far as to suggest that our words too, our words can make worlds. James chapter three is the text where it talks about my words and your words as being like the bridle in a horse's mouth or like the rudder on the back of a ship. These words make dramatic differences in our world. It even talks about how one word can set an entire forest ablaze. Our words can make and break our world. And so the invitation for all of us to consider this morning is, what might be a word for you in the coming year? What might be your word of the year this year? Let me give a little background. I was first introduced to this practice some years ago uh, by some good friends, about seven years ago. The year was 2016 for me where I came to know of this practice, but that of course was not the beginning of it. It looks like this seems to be a practice that's been driven by our dictionary companies, actually. And so they have been selecting words of the year a little bit longer. Dictionary.com started picking a word of the year in 2010. The Oxford Dictionary started doing it in 2004. Merriam-Webster started doing it in 2003. But it looks like it was the Germans who were first. Way back in 1971, the Germans started selecting a word of the year. But all these dictionaries, of course, they're selecting their words because they want to pay attention to what words they need to add to their dictionaries for the coming year, what words need to be added to their rosters. And so, for example, maybe you know what the word of the year is this year. From Oxford, the word of the year is riz. Okay, riz. It's a word that means style or charm or attractive charisma. I learned even just this morning from people who are cooler than I am, it means to have pull. Okay. The person of the year this year was Taylor Swift. And you might say that Taylor Swift is a person who has riz, this kind of attractive charisma. People want to be around her. Now, the big difference with word of the year that the dictionaries are seeking, of course, is that they are looking backwards. At the end of the year, they are trying to pull forth one that was impacting for the year behind. When we're talking about word of the year today and in the year ahead, we're looking forward. We're trying to identify a word that will be a word that you live into a word that becomes a little bit like glasses, that you would put that on and you would view the world through those lenses with that word guiding your thoughts as you move forward. Our very own Steve Braunius, who was in the video that we watched earlier, has actually come up with a nifty little acronym to help us in identifying our word of the year. And again, you're invited to be identifying this as we go along here for yourself. The acronym is DROP, and each letter represents a suggestion of how you might identify a word. So the D stands for a desire of your heart or a longing that you have. Remember the great quote from Frederick Beekner, who says that the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's great need come together. So your word might be a desire of your heart. Or with the R, it could be a reminder of who you are a reminder of who you are. 
We just did our This Is Us series. And throughout that, we had a mantra that says, when you know who you are, you know what to do. When you know who you are, you know what to do. Your word of the year could be a reminder to you of who you are, who God has made you to be, Ephesians 2.10 style. Or with the O, your word, word could also be an opportunity to grow. It could be an invitation to yourself to step into something. And in that case, I encourage you to focus on progress, not on perfection. Focus on the journey, not the destination, if you're selecting a word that's an invitation towards growth. And then the last one is a P, which is a promise of God. There's some 5,000 plus promises of God in the scripture and your word might be related to a promise of God that you want to remind yourself of often throughout the year. I pulled a few examples of folks that have done this. And so here's an example of a family that did it. They selected their words and they put it into an art project as a way of reminding themselves what their words were. Each one of them did it and they shared them with one another. The next one is a bunch of rocks. This is a team of teachers in a school who put their words on a rock. You can see Inspire is up there often, of course, because of their profession. Uh, but those, that's another example. And still another one would be a, a basketball team University of Central Florida did this and put it on a basketball and kept it in their locker room. All of these are ways of groups that have been doing this word of the year process. For myself, again, I said to you earlier, I've been doing this since 2016. And so here's a list of the words that have been in my uh, word of the year throughout the years. 2016, the word for me was unshaken. That was a year in which uh, it's a desire of my heart. I wanted to be a person who was unshaken, riffing on uh, the biblical uh, story of God's unshakable kingdom as it's described in Hebrews chapter 12. And my world was shaking, the world was shaking, and I was in a particularly difficult uh, work situation and I wanted to be an unshaken person. And so I'd pray that often before going into meetings in that particular year. It was the next year where I landed on peace, joy, and purpose as three, I cheated, three words for the year. Uh, but those became for me very important about what I want most in life. And even still today, if you were to poke me or squeeze me or kind of goad me into saying, Ross, what do you really want out of life? Peace, joy, and purpose, and not one without the other. That's what you're going to get from me very likely. In 2020, it was the word for me was unity. And you remember that might have been a year where there's plenty of divisions going on in our world. And so I did a deep dive that year into what Christian unity means in our scriptures. And even when our Belhar confession invites or tells us that unity is both a gift and a responsibility, I spent a year kind of soaking in those deep truths. And then for 2024, skipping down to the bottom, the word I think, again, it takes a little time to settle on your word. The word I think I'm landing on this year is belong, belong. It's a promise of God given to us at our baptism that we belong. We've been adopted through Christ. And I think it's built into us as humans. All of us want to be seen and known and loved and valued. And even the Surgeon General for the last few years has been talking about how without belonging, we are lonely. And that's possibly the newest and greatest health threat of our day, loneliness. Brene Brown has often uh, writes about this too in a great little book called, well, big book, called Atlas of the Heart. And she speaks about belonging and also especially about belonging uncertainty or about what it's like to be invisible somewhere and how that hurts us and causes us to dysfunction in many of our relationships. All of that is to say, I'm thinking about belonging this coming year and how important it is for us and for others. It's a word that is likely to be my word for the year this coming year. To give you some examples, again, to get you started in thinking what your word might be this year, let's draw on some biblical examples together. And again, these are anachronisms, okay? They're out of time. It's not like they said, hmm, this is gonna be my word of the year this year. But it did so happen that these words were world-making words for many of these characters. The first is Abram. If Abram had a word of the year, I think it might've been go, go. God told him to go, to leave behind everything familiar. He left behind his family and his homeland. And he did so without knowing what the destination would be just yet. Abraham would go on to walk 1,100 miles, the journey of a lifetime. And after all of this journeying, Abraham would go from being a nobody to being the patriarch of 
monotheism, of religious monotheism, the one who stands behind the three major religions of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, all because God said, go. Big world-making word for him. If Leah, if you remember Leah from the Bible, Genesis chapter 29 and surrounding chapters, if Leah had the word of the year, it might be resilient. Leah is the unwanted wife of Jacob, if you know the story. And she's described as having weak eyes, whatever that means. But it seems to be suggestive of being less attractive. And Jacob, who at the time had two wives, he had Rachel and Leah. The text tells us specifically that he loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. God saw that. God saw her hurt. God saw that she was hated and paid attention to her. But Leah, in the midst of that, in the midst of that belonging uncertainty, you could say, in the midst of being invisible to the people around you, Leah was resilient. And she went on actually to still become uh, the mother of six of the 12 tribes of Israel. If Joseph had a word of the year, remember Joseph? Chapters 37 to 50 in Genesis. If he had a word of the year, it might've been forgiveness. Joseph's story is actually the first story in the Bible that mentions forgiveness between humans. And it's the story of betrayal. His brothers betray him. They sell him into slavery. They pretend that he is dead. Joseph could have spent his life in resentment or seeking retaliation, especially as he later gained power in life. But instead he chose to break the hurt cycle. And when he came face to face with his brothers, eventually he chose instead to forgive. It's a word that made his world and our world too. If Moses had a word of the year, it might very well have been the word Shema. Sorry, that's the one that's not in English, but it needs to be that. It's normally translated as hear, but this is one of those super powerful words from a different culture that doesn't have a one-to-one translation into English. It is more uh, faithfully translated as hear and listen, understand, and enact. It does not mean blind obedience. God wants, like the, like the Proverbs bit that we read earlier, God wants us to obey from our hearts, to want to, to know what we're doing, to choose it. And this is a word that Moses uses 92 times in the book of Deuteronomy alone. It's a world-shaping word for him and for us as well. If Joshua, the great one who conquested the promised land, if he had a word of the year, that word might have been chose, choose, excuse me, choose. He's the one who led the Israelites into the promised land. And after they had kind of moved into this place, their destination, he turns back to them and says that, hey, choose this day who you will serve. And there are multiple options. It was new at that time. Typically, more people would just take whatever the newest God is and add it to the collection of the others. But this was instead, choose this day who you will serve, God or the others, but not both. And he goes on to say, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Esther, if Esther had a word of the year, I think it might've been risk, risk. Do you remember the story of Esther? She's really kind of the opposite of Leah. If Leah is the one who is remembered for being less attractive, Esther is the one who's remembered for being most attractive. That's why I referenced it earlier today. It was on my brain. She's the one who gets into this kind of contest before the king, and she's selected as the most desired, the most beautiful one. But then God's people are identified by the king in the target zone. They're intended, intending genocide to God's people, and Queen Esther decides to use her position of power to risk everything and challenge the king on his plans. It's a good risk. This is one of the stories where I land on the difference between a good risk and a bad risk. A good risk is the one that might have high risk of loss for me, but also high potential gain for others. And Esther does that. She takes that kind of risk. A bad risk would be one that doesn't risk much of me, but it risks major loss for everyone else. Esther chose to risk her own life and it ended up being saving for God's people at that time. A couple more. If Job, remember the story of Job? If Job had a word of the year, I think it might be bless. Remember the story of Job? If you've had an exceptionally bad year this year, you might relate to Job. 
Job had one of the best, one of the worst years of all. In short time, he lost nearly everything, all of his wealth, his family, and then eventually his own health too, and all of it undeservingly so. His wife comes to him and says, Job, just curse God and die. He doesn't do that. His friends point at him and basically say, you've sinned, you deserve this over and over again. And yet Job is the one who finally says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He chose to bless rather than to curse, even in the midst of his hardship. It's a word that made his world too. If Mary had a word of the year, this would be the last one. If Mary had a word of the year, especially at Christmas time, maybe we'd recognize that her word is treasure. I mean, she's a teenage girl who suddenly turns up pregnant and only God knows how. She could wallow in self-pity. She could go off the rails, but instead she becomes the epitome of receptivity. The text says that she pondered all of these things that were happening and treasured them in her heart, a word that made her world. All of this, of course, is just to get you thinking, what might be your word of the year this year? As you look ahead What might be your word for the coming year? You know the story of New Year's resolutions, right? Statistics suggest that only 9% of us will keep them by the end of the year. 50% of us will give them up by the end of January. So let me offer just a couple tips that will suggest how we might not let go of our word of the year and maybe be a little more likely to keep it in the year to come. Three simple tips. One, Put your word of the year in a prominent place. When you finally identify it, put it somewhere that you'll see it often, maybe on a sticky note on the dashboard of your car, maybe in the mirror in the bathroom, maybe as the home screen of one of your devices somehow. Make it so that you encounter the word frequently. Tip number two, share your word of the year with some real friends, some people who might remind you of it, ones that you can talk about it with. This is what our teams have done here at Fellowship Maybe you share it with a mentor or an accountability partner or a spiritual friend, but someone who can check in with you and you with them about how it's going as you journey with your word through the year. And then the third tip is to set a reminder. Set a reminder, use technology. Get your phone, ask Siri or Alexa or whatever device you might use to remind you. I would suggest monthly, maybe just once a month, 12 times throughout the year, and let that be a prompt for you to just spend a little time in prayer with God, talking about the word and how it's impacting your life. And even in that time, of course, you can shift your word. You can be attentive to what God is putting on your heart and maybe change it. It's okay, Uh, but it'd be a good part of reminding yourself to stick with your word. Every single week we gather for worship and we remind ourselves here in this very place that we want to be a people who live out a mission. And the mission is that we love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. Having a word of the year is just another simple practice of seeking to do that and to do it on purpose. And remember how powerful words are. Words make worlds. God spoke the world into being. God's word made this world in the first place. God's word in the flesh, Jesus, has saved this world. And as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be co-creators with God in this world, it just might be that your word changes your life or someone else's too in the year to come. So the question of the morning is, what might be your word of the year this year? Think about it. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, we end where we began, which is the celebration of Christ's birth. It is Christ who gives us new life and new hope, the Word made flesh. As we celebrate Christmas and tip into the new year, we do so guided by our Lord and Savior. And let's sing together, Jesus, what a wonderful child. Would you stand? I'm going to invite you to clap on B on this one. (laughs) Just warning you.
We just sang it, new life, new hope to all he brings. Friends, that's why we celebrate Christmas. And as we step into a new year, you're invited to select a word of the year to live into the new reality of the Christ child born into our world. As you go out to do that, may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. Amen. Go in peace. Amen.